We're into the book of Hebrews in our series, and uh, let's just think in terms of being Father's Day. Let's think in terms of, what, 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 what's dad called in your home? See, I always called my dad, dad. My, my son, Mike, calls me dad. My son, Matt, calls me pops. And my daughter calls me symbol one. So, <laughs> all right, there it is. There it is. But in your home, was he dad? Was he father? Daddy? He was dad. Daddy, there you go. Now, there's a daughter, right? There's a daughter who loves her, loves her dad to call him daddy, okay? What else? What else, we, what else we call the man that raised you? Papa. Is there any papa? Oh, okay, all righty, all right. Nobody else is throwing it out there. Well, just come on now. Judy, what did you call Arnold growing up? Dad, okay, all right, just curious, just curious what, what, it, what it is, all right, there it is. Susan, what do your children call Mark? Grandpa Mark now, okay, dad of another generation, okay. Hey, here's the father of the bride, let's find out what his children call him, okay? Wedding coming up in another week. Randy, what do your kids call you? Different names. We'd like to hear them. Okay. <laughs> Yes, there you are. Just that. All right. So dad seems to be pretty popular in our, in our culture right now. All right. But uh, one of the names that some people uh, have called is Papa. And the only reason I'm calling this Papa for this series is this particular message. It, it sets up that alliteration of Papa's patterns, okay? If we put old man's patterns, like that doesn't make any sense, all right? Because I want to look at just two patterns very simply. And the first thing that I want us to note from Hebrews chapter 12 is that every papa needs a pattern. Men, we come into this world needing something to help, uh, to help guide us and understand what we're striving for. When you get to Hebrews chapter 12, after a long, magnificent discussion of the superiority of Jesus Christ and the new covenant in him, we come to Ephesians 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The word ensnares has with it this idea. It's a three-part word that just kind of wraps itself around us and uh, limits us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And calling us to be faithful in our walk with God, the writer to the book of Hebrews gives us two examples, if you will, two patterns. The one pattern is a large group of people that is this cloud of witnesses, and that's Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is replete with references to people who walked with God faithfully. If we were to back up to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, here's one about a father and a son, but there's many that are there. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, 
from which he also received him in a figure, figurative sense. And if you know the story of Abraham, in obedience to God, he had Abraham carry the wood upon which he was, with which he was going to make an altar and upon which he thought he was going to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. Now, this is a picture of Christ, which we're not going to have time to, to tease out the elements in that. But the point being that Abraham acted in faith, believing that even if he places his son, uh, kills his son as God had instructed him, and you know God withheld his hand and said, don't, don't do that. And that's how he got him back from the dead figuratively. And then there was the ram and all of that that God provided. But that was a picture of what God himself would do with his only begotten son. The point that the writer of the Hebrews is saying is he was willing to do that, believing that God, even in the midst of what seemed like, would seem like impossible circumstances now, because this was the son of promise. How can God do this? Because God could even raise him from death. And so he, by faith, was going to follow what God said that he should do. So that's a, that in one of these faith stories in Hebrews chapter 11, that's one that, uh, uh, that relates to a father and son. That's why I just wanted to touch on that one. And there's a whole bunch that are in there, friends. And so go back and read that because they're a pattern for us dads because every papa needs a pattern. And then you can, if you don't understand what they're talking about, you can go back in the Old Testament and you'll find You'll find the stories about these people who, by faith, walked with God. And what more shall we say, verse 32 of chapter 11, and here he just gives a sweeping statement, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained Promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Magnificent victories. And if it was always victory, that would be wonderful. In fact, it'd be easy to walk by faith if it was always victory. But then the writer goes on to say this. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. That phrase always catches me. They were so much better than the world around them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. They were not seeing the victory. It was not as if they went from one joy to another joy to another joy because God was just pouring out blessing. They were through torturous and difficult times. That is the cloud of witnesses that he references in verse 12. He says, so we have these from the past, this collective group, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's get our act together by divesting ourselves of those things which are interfering in our walk with God. And now let's run with endurance the race set before us. And here's the other pattern that we have to follow. Jesus himself looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The word endured literally means to remain under. So to remain under whatever the difficulty is that we are facing. Despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You'll notice that Jesus was able to endure because he knew beyond the cross 
There was a joy that was to follow. Even earlier in referencing Abraham, it, it, it said, uh, the writer said, he looked for a better city. See, friends, we don't live for this world. We don't live with this world and its rewards. As believers in Jesus Christ, we don't live for this world system, its rewards, its, its joys, its funds, that, that, uh, that that's the end of what we live for. We live knowing there is something outside of this world, something beyond this existence, something better that we strive for and that we want. And that is one day the, to be in glory with God and that to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because when you come to Christ and you understand what he has done for you, you begin to reorient priorities and say, you know what? There's just got to be more than this world as it is. But men, you and I, if we're going to live that out, when we get to those difficult times, we need to know, yes, there really is a reason to keep walking with Jesus. Because I guarantee you, there are going to be difficulties. You sign up to serve Christ with your whole life, and you will uh, experience hardship. Jesus said this, in the world you shall have tribulation. Expect it. So men, we have examples for you and I to follow, things for us to look to, the word to go back to when those difficult times come and say, man, oh man, uh, life is hard. I'm not sure this is worth it. Oh yeah, Lord, that's right. You were faithful in the life of this person and this person and this person and this person as they lived for a different set of standards. And Lord, I, I want to be that too, particularly as I look to the Lord Jesus Christ and see what he endured on my behalf. So we need it, men, just so we can be successful. So every papa needs a pattern so we can personally sustain the walk that we need to know there have been people who have gone before us. But the second thing that I'd like to note from that is every papa creates a pattern. You see, there's a generation following behind us, men. There's a generation that we call them our kids, our children, and our grandchildren. And they are watching us, and they are, they are gaining a sense as to how important is it to walk with God? Does it really matter to walk with God? Is it really something that, we, that, that accounts for, for significant things in our lives? See, see I'm watching this guy, and uh, I, I, I'm picking that up from him. Had a, a conversation with my son, Matt, yesterday, just briefly, and he told me, he said, Dad, I, I said, what are you doing? What did I take you away from? I called him. He says, well, I pulled the baseball glove out of some box somewhere that you and I used to play with in the yard, Dad. And uh, I'm out playing catch with uh, his two oldest kids. First time that he has done that. And we laughed about how the baseball game we used to play, it's still, we're in the seventh inning. And, and uh, you know, it was like 21 to 23 or something in the seventh inning. Because when you only have one outfielder and infielder to cover, you know, you can hit the ball, just get it past them, and you're going to run a home run, right? So that's how we did it, all right? So we laughed about that. But you know what? I was excited for my son. I was excited for my son, one, because you teach him to play baseball. But playing baseball is ultimately so what? But when I, when I see dads who are, whether it's playing baseball or taking their kids fishing or taking them hunting or working on the Iwana Derby cars, whatever it is they're doing with them, you know what? They're investing in their kids. That, that particular thing that they're doing may be fun and it may be good and, and um, it's wonderful, okay? Bob Dahl, how much has he invested in his kids with basketball or with deer hunting, right? That's all good. 
But that's not the end. And you see, when you have built those relationships because you have taken that time and you, I see them all as investing in our children, you're taking that kind of time so that when you get around to talking about which we need to be doing, dads, that's my point, because every dad creates a pattern, so that when you start sharing with them the things that really matter in your life, and I don't mean just start like, well, we're going to start now. I mean, hey, on a daily basis, Scripture talks about, you know, as you're walking through life, and opportunities are provided for you to say something about God and, and his work in your life and the reality of Jesus Christ. Guess what? Playing baseball and fishing and deer hunting and Awana Derby cars and wrenching on, on, uh, uh, under the hood, all of these things have created a place where by now you have their respect. You, haven't, they, you have uh, their sense of, I really want to follow this man. So then when you also add there's a dimension to life son or daughter that matters far more than any of this stuff they're ready to listen because they're looking to you for the pattern so dads here's what i would just like to encourage you though particularly those still those still raising your children just two thoughts and then we're done two thoughts about being a man who follows the pattern so that he can create the pattern so that his kids can walk in, in these deep things. First of all, dads, what is the most important thing you're going to pass on to your kids? Think about that. What is the most important thing you're going to pass on? When, when, when that day comes and you know God's going to call you home in the next day or so, do you, want to, do you really want to be the most important thing you passed on to your kids as to, you know, how to tie a fly? Is that it? How to catch a fly. Tie a fly being right for fishing how to catch a fly in baseball, is that what you want? Is that going to be what mattered? I mean, when the Bible says, in the beginning, God, isn't that laying the groundwork as to what really matters? So, men, that's, that's the most important thing. That's number one. Number two, may I suggest, there's, there's a pattern that I see that it, it discourages me. The pattern that I see that says, hey, here's how I raise my son. Here's how I make sure my son gets this stuff. Or my daughter. Here's how they do it. You know, it's like this. I send them to church until they get to a certain point of instruction, which is formally recognized, and then I'm done. And in fact, I may not even be going myself, or I may quit going at that point. Dads, if we're going to get serious about imparting the things of the Lord to our kids, we have to stay engaged long past whatever formal instruction they got in the church. We have to stay engaged for a lifetime because I guarantee you when you're in your 60s and in your 70s and you're in your 80s, there are still going to be opportunities to invest in your children and then your grandchildren, the things that you are presently learning about God and his faithfulness. But if we take an approach that says, well, I send them, let others deal with it, and I'm done you have undercut any real opportunity for them to go, this seriously matters. And dads, it does. It does. You know, dad, I, I've said this many times, there's only one place in this entire world where you cannot be replaced. Only one place. And as being a father to your children. You can be replaced anywhere else, but those kids need you are you and I going to teach them the things that matter the most? That's a lifetime commitment because they need, we need the pattern to follow 
and then we need to create the pattern so our kids know how serious it is. Amen? Amen. Well, I tell you, we're going to finish today a little different, all right? Because our closing prayer today is for fathers, and it's done in the context of music. We have a, a, a quartet that's going to come up, and they're going to relate specifically to the things that we've just said. Hear it as a prayer, would you? Miles and Jeff and Tyler and Darvis are going to come, and they're going to minister to us, and then you are dismissed. And fathers, if you don't come back and get a little treat from me, let me wish you a happy Father's Day after the service. Then you're going to have, I don't know, we're going to have to wrestle or something. <laughs> and I've been working out. He was awake before the sun with his Bible opened up, seeking truth with every single page he turned. Anyone could see my daddy lived what he believed with a gentle heart where passion for Jesus burned. And I know we had our times we disagreed, but the longer I live, it's clear to me I want to be. That man who loves the Lord with all his heart, just like the word commands, who takes a stand and meets his family as he holds the Father's hand. I want to be that Society would say, there's a new ideal today, not what you give, it's more about what you can gain. But I want to live a life that's marked by sacrifice, like the Savior who died to show us all the way. So I'll take up my cross and trace the steps. Surrendering is how I'll serve Him best. I want to be that man who loves the Lord with all his heart, just like the Word commands to takes a stand and leaves his family as he holds the Father's hand. I want to be that man, just like Peter, Paul, and all the saints of days gone by. Let me show the kind of faith to those who I want to be that man 
I wanna be that man